Our second reading from God's Word comes from the book of Psalms. You can follow the reading in the Pew Bible on page 567 and we'll read Psalm 1, page 567, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you, Corey, and thank you, Margaret, for praying for us. Um, well, it is the new year. It's um, my first week back to work, and... Oh boy, that tension from being away for three weeks on holidays by the beach in Sydney and talking now being back here with you. So much more joy here, let me tell you. <laughs> we just got burnt at the beach. But it is a new year, 2019. It's still new and fresh. And we've, with each new year, it's often a good time to just reflect on the year that was past and the, the year that is this year and the year ahead. I got to spend a fair bit of time reflecting on the past year, on our drive up to Sydney, reflecting on all that happened and all that God did. Um, it was a big year for us as a family and also for this church family. It was a big year, a huge year. And on our drive back to Melbourne, it, to better weather down here, let me tell you, it was hot and humid up in Sydney, uh, better coffee down here. But on our drive back, I got time and that chance, that 10 hours of driving to reflect on this year ahead, what will happen this year under God. And I've, I wonder whether you've had that opportunity at time just to also do some of your own personal reflection on last year and this year. I mean, was last year a good year for you? Was it a good year where you hope that this year will be just as good? You know, things were going well, good health and job and good relationships. Or was last year a disaster? You know, illness and tension in the family and conflict and stress and even tragedy. And you hope that this year will be the complete opposite. I wonder whether you've done some reflection. And so what do you think? What do you hope for? Well, I suspect all of us, every single one of us, are hoping that this year will be a good year. And I suspect all of us, we are ho all hoping that it will be a happy year. I mean, who wouldn't want this year to be a happy year? An even happier year if last year was good. I mean, that's been the pursuit of humanity since the beginning of time. We want to be happy. We long to be happy. Who doesn't? Yeah, you see, recently, we all long for happiness, and this is quite obvious in our society. Recently, there was a study released by Bond University. It was a study they called the Happiness Project. And it was a study into which suburbs in Australia were the happiest. Now, any guesses what the results showed? They investigated 
housing affordability, health, safety, wealth, work-life balance, community. You know which suburbs came up on top? Number one in Australia. This is an Australia-wide study. Number one is this area up north of Victoria, not too far from here, Nilimbik. Anyone know that area? Altham's in that area. So that's number one in Australia, the happiest suburb. Number two, New South Wales, Kuringai. I have no idea where that is, but they're happy there. Number three, now listen to this, Burundara, which is around this area. Number three in Australia, which means you're amongst the happiest in Australia. What do you think? Is that what you feel? Is that what you experience? But you see, a research like that just highlights our longing for happiness. We want to be happy. We want a happy year. Who wouldn't? It's been the endless pursuit of humanity. You can see what we do on our holidays or even what we do for work. We do things a lot of the times for happiness. For example, why would anyone go fishing on a holiday and not catch anything when you can just walk to the fish and chips store and buy your fish? Why? Because it makes us happy to not catch anything. <laughs> or why would anyone spend so much time and effort in the garden when it's easier just to concrete everything? Why? Because gardening makes some people happy. You see, it's an endless pursuit of humanity. But I wonder if anyone has truly found it. Deep, lasting, true happiness. Do you think you found it? Do you think you found it? Well, in this ancient poem, Psalm 1, perhaps one of the most famous psalms memorized by, I suspect, many of us, we read of one who has found happiness. One who found true, deep, lasting happiness. And where do you find it? Well, look at verse 1. Keep your Bibles open. Verse 1, it begins, Blessed is the man. That is, the man who is blessed by God, the one who has the favour of God. God says, my favour is upon you. The one who is supremely happy. You see, in another translation of the, of the Bible, it's happy is the one. The one who is supremely happy, the one who is fulfilled and complete. And where do you find such blessing? Where do you find true happiness? Well, this psalm tells us. You see, this psalm begins by telling us where you don't go to find it, before he goes to tell us where you do go to find it. So look at verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Now I wonder whether that verse strikes you as interesting. Because what does it say? It says here to be blessed, to be happy. If you want to be happy, then it is about avoiding evil. It is about right and wrong, good and evil. It is about morality. Happiness is a moral thing. You see, that's quite different to how our world thinks today. You see, the way our world thinks today is if you want to be happy, then you avoid not evil, you avoid maybe pain and suffering. And that's why our society 
would even descend to the point now where we would even consider let's just euthanize the old and weak. Let's just kill them off because it's happier that way. Pain and suffering is bad. But what this psalmist is saying is that if you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy, it is a moral thing. It is about avoiding evil, turning from evil, not being like the wicked or the sinners or the mockers. And what is that? Well, it's anything against the law of God. It's anything that is in opposition to God. It's anything that does not reflect the character of God that is evil, from the murder with the hands to the hatred that begins in the heart, from the adultery of the flesh to the lust that begins in the heart, from the greed to the idolatry of money to the pride of achievements to even the careless words sitting in the seat of mockers that is evil and you're not going to find happiness there and notice how this psalm just so wonderfully describes this it says three things don't walk or stand or sit it's descending do you know that activity that action it's descending from walking to standing and then sitting Spurgeon he, he says this is somewhat a picture of going from bad to worse you're not gonna find happiness there and so firstly you're just walking that is you're just going with the flow what people say popular opinion you're just going with them you're listening to the counsel of the wicked but then it becomes a habit now you're standing your ground. I will not budge. You're sitting now and you don't care. And then the spiral goes downwards. Now you're sitting and you're approving of those who even do wrong. You see, that's how evil works, isn't it? It corrupts. And so take, for example, the sin of adultery. I mean, who would ever commit the sin of adultery? In the first place, who would ever imagine that? I mean, no one would be thinking about that on their wedding day, that adultery is okay. But you see, it begins by listening to bad advice from mates. You know, just go with your heart, it's okay. She loves you more than your wife. Listening to bad advice. And then standing with sinners. Well, it's okay, it's about love. God wants us love. No one will find out anyway. And then it descends further. Then finally sitting, approving of a lifestyle, mocking those who are different. You see, it's this downward spiral. And what this psalm says is that if you want to be happy, it is a moral thing. You have to avoid evil. And so where do you find happiness and blessing? Well, firstly, it's not in that. Not in evil. But where do you find it? Well, do you follow your heart? I mean, that's a common modern-day ethic. Just follow your heart, you'll find happiness. Go with your heart's desire, you'll find happiness. You'll be fulfilled. I mean, what would happen if every single one of us followed our heart? You know, the Bible describes our heart as, as deceitful above all things, so depraved. I mean, if you went with your heart, if I went with my heart, it would be terrible and it wouldn't be happy. And so where do you go to find happiness? Oh, listen to what this psalmist says. Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and on his law he meditates day and night. You see, this psalmist, he delights, he loves the law of God. He saturates his life day and night with God's word. I mean, he's, he's really doing what Jesus said. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, it's not going after my own heart. And it's certainly not listening to the counsel of the wicked or standing with the sinners or sitting with the mockers. It is listening to God. You want happiness? Don't go to your heart. Don't go to the world. You go to God. Don't listen to them. You listen to God. You want happiness? You go to God. You listen to what God says. And so disciples say, you want lasting, true, genuine, deep happiness. You're not going to find it in the world. You're not going to find it anywhere apart from God. You find it ultimately in God. Now, of course, this does not mean that we find God in order to find happiness. Like happiness is the ultimate aim. We're not finding God just so that we can get happiness. That would be wrong. That would be to treat God wrongly. No, rather, God is the ultimate aim. God is the ultimate God. And when you find God, when you seek righteousness, you get happiness thrown in. You see, if we seek happiness, you just won't find it. If we go on seeking for happiness, you just won't find it anyway. But if you seek God, happiness gets thrown in. Blessings get thrown in. In fact, if we find happiness anywhere in this world, you just won't get it. It just won't ultimately fulfill, nor will it last. And I suspect we all know that to be true already. We know that. I mean, what happens when anyone tries to find their ultimate happiness in their jobs or careers. What happens? Well, if they get the job, eventually they'll feel empty and frustrated because it doesn't really satisfy. There's always someone with something better and greater. Or if they don't get their job or get the happiness from their job, they'll just feel crushed and depleted. It just doesn't satisfy. It will not bring ultimate happiness. Well, what happens when anyone tries to find their ultimate happiness in relationships or in their spouse, in their husband or wife? Well, the problem with that is that that is to lay too high of an expectation on a husband or wife. I mean, they cannot fulfill the role that only God can. And not only that, it's to turn relationships or even marriage into a selfish thing. You see, you are only there as my husband and wife for my happiness. It becomes distorted, deluded. Now, that is not to say that relationships and marriage are not to be a source of happiness. They are God's good gift, but they are not where it's ultimately found. Well, what happens when people try to find happiness in the stuff we can get, our possessions, bigger this and bigger that? Well, what happens is that that happiness just doesn't last anyway. Now, a simple test I have for you. How many of you are as happy today as you were on Christmas Day when you opened up your Christmas present? Is that happiness still the same at the same level or has it dropped? I suspect for most of us it's dropped deeply, dramatically. I know for one of my kids that happiness on Christmas Day was very, very short-lived. 
For Christmas Day, he received a, a remote control drone from his grandparent. Uh, it was fun on Christmas Day. He played it with, for a bit, Caleb, this is. And then on Boxing Day, we thought, well, let's take it to the park. He got to play with it for a bit. And then one of my other children, who shall remain nameless, had a go with this remote control drone. You know what I mean? The drone where you f they fly them up like helicopters? This other child of mine had a go, and that drone just kept on going and going and going. Probably went back to China where it was made. <laughs> or maybe just on someone's roof in Box Hill. But you see, that happiness from that stuff was short-lived. Everything new we get will eventually get old. That happiness just doesn't last. But here we read the secret to it. Blessed is the man or woman who delights in the law of the Lord. And that is where happiness is ultimately found. And that is simply because we were not made for the world. We were made for God. And we find happiness in him. But of course, what does that look like to be blessed? What does it look like? You know, paint me a picture, help me see it, help me appreciate it, help me want it. What does it look like to be really happy? Well, again, this psalmist, very clever, he sets up this contrast. It is like a tree and not chaff. Like a tree and not chaff. Look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, what is that trying to describe? Well, you see, the picture that is described here is one who is blessed and one who is like a tree, strong and sturdy and stable and unshakable, constantly nourished by this flowing stream and bearing fruit. That is a picture of one who is happy, who is blessed. And so what it describes is that having happiness of Psalm 1 is not about emotions. It's not about the emotions we feel that comes and goes. You know, when we get ice cream, we feel happy. When we finish the ice cream, we feel sad. It's not talking about that type of emotion. It's talking about something deeper. Nor is it talking about the fickleness of just our circumstances and situation. It is not like that. What is described here is like a tree where there is always this undercurrent of joy and happiness this nourishment that is always there. And so even when the season is harsh, it is difficult, what do trees do? Those of you who know trees, I just chopped them down, but what do trees do? If the land is barren and the wind is scorching, well, what trees will do is that their roots will dig deeper and deeper and continue to draw nourishment. And here... It is drawing from the abundantly flowing stream and it will continue to bear fruit regardless of the situation around it, regardless of the environment around it, it will survive. And so that is what it's like to be the blessed man or woman of Psalm 1. It is unshakable. You're not dependent on the circumstances or the situation or the environment because it is one who has found God. It is one who delights in the law of God. And that is why Christians, 
even in the most difficult of times, can still somehow, it's just beyond understanding, in the most difficult of times, can still have an undercurrent of joy and happiness and a sense of security and comfort. Why is that? When they get cancer, when they get sick, when some tragedy happens, yet they're still so stable, so calm. There's an undercurrent of joy and happiness. Why is that? It is because their roots are in God. The season might be horrible and harsh, but the roots of the Christians, it just digs deeper and deeper and finds its strength and nourishment from God. It's why you have even Christians amongst us. Many of you, if we know each other well, would know that many of us are struggling and do find life difficult. There are real struggles amongst many in our church, but yet so many are so stable, sturdy, because their roots are in God. They're finding, drawing nourishment from God. They are blessed. They have, have an undercurrent of happiness. And that is why, you know, that study from Bond University, the Happiness Project, it's a good study, it's interesting, but it really misses the point. It misses the mark. It measures your happiness based on your circumstances. The more educated, the wealthier, the healthier, the happier. But do you think that is really the case? Because I'm sure there are many, even in Burundara, even around here, who have all those things, but yet are desperately sad. But yet, at the same time, we see many around the world who delight in the law of God, who love God, who know God, but yet have far, far less than us, have so little, but yet still have an undercurrent of joy and happiness. A few years ago, when I started here, not long after I started here, I heard of a family, a mission, a short-term missionary family. They went overseas to Kenya. They were only there for, for a bit. The father served in a hospital, as a surgeon in the, in the hospital there. While well, the mother, she had time to just visit the villages. And she shared of a story where she visited a local village. And it was, a, it was to the eyes, it was a sad village. They were just widows there, which means they've got no one to support them, care for them. What they had, they had pretty much nothing, virtually nothing. They didn't have matching shoes because those shoes were just found. Their clothes, they were torn. And their homes, made of mud and sticks and cow dung. Imagine living in such a place. Filthy, dirty, nothing. None of the luxuries we have here. Nothing at all. It seems so depressing just to even think about it. But yet this... This mother who shared this story, she said that village were filled with Christians. They were widows, but yet they were Christians. And she described in their scene the joy they had, which just did not make sense of their circumstance or situation. They had so little, but why could they have that undercurrent of joy and happiness? So little, because just like the tree, Deep roots in God. They have God. And this mother, when she came back, she said to me, seeing them, she, I mean, this mother, she, she's doing quite well, nice house here. She said, I envy the joy and happiness they had. 
even though I have so much more, I envy the type of joy and happiness they had. And that is what it looks like to be the blessed of Psalm 1. And so to be happy is to be like the tree. That's the picture. And to not be like the chaff. Now, do you know what chaffs are? They're, they're sort of like the little shell around uh, grains. They're, they're things you don't want. At home, I roast coffee beans, and there's often a lot of chaff that's produced. And I make a mess of it in Yvonne's laundry, and that's okay. We'll vacuum it up. And anyway, it's messy. But chaff is unwanted stuff. You don't want it. You throw it away. And here we're told the wicked are described like the chaff. They are worthless. They are to be thrown away, burnt up. Look at verses 4 and 5. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now do you see what that is saying? It says that no one will get away with being wicked. And you can never find happiness in being wicked. It, it might seem seductive, you know, the temptation for this or that or whatever it might be. It seems so seductive. It seems so good. But yet it will leave you empty, frustrated, disappointed, and even used. And so it teaches us some wisdom there. Don't be like that. Every sin will not lead to more fun. It will lead you to emptiness and here to a disastrous end. They'll be judged by God. And so the blessed one, how is it described? What's the picture? Like a tree. Not like chaff that's blown away. And so now that is the psalm. And as we reflect on this psalm today, and as we begin the new year together, what do you think you're like? So I want you to ask yourself, are you the man or woman of Psalm 1? Do you think you have found this lasting happiness, this lasting joy? Are you this blessed one? Because you want to be, don't you? Of course you do. I do. And so we see in verse 6 that there really is only two ways to live. But only one of these ways is truly, deeply, ultimately happy. Look at verse 6. For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You've got two options. God will watch over you, or one day you will perish. What will you choose? Which of these are you? The blessed one, the happy one of this psalm, or are you the wicked, the sinner, the mocker? Now let me guess what we might all be thinking. I suspect, it's just so easy for us to think this, I suspect all of us, we're thinking, well, of course I'm amongst the blessed. Of course I'm that. I'm not the other one. I want to be that one, and that's me. I mean, who really wants to be anything else? But let me ask you, who really is the blessed one? Who really is this perfect man of Psalm 1? Is that really you? I mean, who never, ever walks in the counsel of the wicked? Have you ever listened to wrong, bad, wicked advice? Who has never stood in the way of sinners? Have you ever sinned? Stood in the way of sinners? 
Who has never sat in the seat of mockers? Have you been even careless with your word and mocked and taunted? Have you never done such thing? Or who always delights in the law of the Lord? Who always meditates on it day and night? Does that really describe you? Do you really meditate on the word of God day and night? Do you really delight with all your heart in the law of God? Is that really you? Do you think it really describes you? Or will you always prosper? In all that you do, you will always prosper. Does that describe you? What do you think? You see, it's very easy for us to think, well, Psalm 1, well, that's me. I am the man or woman of Psalm 1. For sure, that's me. That's my life. But let's think about the heroes of the Bible. Maybe, maybe it was Abraham. Could it be Abraham? Well, it can't be him. He's one of the great heroes, but he denied his wife and he lied. Maybe it was Moses then. But could it be Moses? He killed someone and he lost his temper. He wasn't even allowed into the promised land. Or was it King David, the greatest king? Well, it can't be him too. He committed murder and adultery. And so if it's not the heroes of the Bible, maybe it's you then. Could it be you? I mean, who can really say that I am the man or woman of someone? I suspect if we're honest, none of us can say that. We've all fallen. We've all listened to the counsel of the wicked. We've all stood in the way of sinners. We've all sat in the seat of mockers. We've all done that. Not everything we do will prosper. That's not us. And so who do you think this is really describing? Well, I suspect here it is describing the perfect picture who perfectly fits this picture. It's the Lord's Son, Jesus Christ himself. He's the only one. Never the wicked. Never the sinner. Never ever the mocker. But yet there were mockers and sinners and wicked people who were against Jesus. And what did they do? They taunted him. They flogged him. They beat him. They even crucified him. And how was Jesus in all of that? I mean, he reflected Psalm 1. What would you do when someone beat you, spat on you? I mean, for me and my younger self, I'll probably punch them back. I suspect we're all tempted that way too. But what did Jesus do when all these atrocious things were done to him? Well, whatever he did, he prospered. Like this psalm, they even killed him. He died. Seemed like they won. They won the, they won the game. They won the war. But even in death, he prospered. Because in his death, he brought forgiveness and life. And even there hanging on the cross, he reflected this psalm. The terrible, indescribable agony, deserted by his Father in heaven. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But yet, what was he like? Well, in Hebrews 12, we read this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Not sitting in the seat of mockers, but sitting at the right hand of the throne of God as king. 
And notice one of those words there should strike us as so surprising, so interesting. Do you notice there the word joy? Isn't that strange? He's being spat on, beaten, pierced, crucified and killed. But yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now isn't that Psalm 1? Isn't that the blessed man? Isn't that the happy man? But of course we have to ask, why? Why could he still on the cross have this undercurrent of joy, so unshakable like a tree? Well, this is when we, men and women, can become the man or woman of Psalm 1. Because, you see, it is for his joy that we can be a part of this. It's only because of the death of Jesus, only because of the forgiveness he offers, only because of the life he grants, only because of the new heart he gives each and every one of us that we can delight in the law of God. I mean, that's not natural. We don't naturally desire and seek God out. Our hearts are wicked beyond understanding. Who can understand it? You see, it's because of what Jesus did that we're given this heart so that we can live out this life of Psalm 1. For in the law of God, we delight in it now. That's why we study it week in, week out, in our growth groups, in our youth group, in our kids' church, here at church, every week. We delight in the Word of God. And why? Because in it, we find God. We find our Saviour. We find grace. And that only comes from the new heart that Jesus has given us. And that's why we see here in this psalm, it might appear on first observance that it is just about trying to be good, trying to be righteous and not doing evil. But it's in fact about grace as well. Do you notice there? Notice, trees just don't plant themselves. It's not like you did all the good works so that you'll grow strong as a tree. No. What happens? Well, plants don't plant themselves. Trees don't plant themselves. You don't decide where you grow. But yet here it is God who plants. By streams of flowing water, it is grace. It is the kindness of God. And when we know that and believe that, we become the blessed one of Psalm 1. And so as we reflect on this year or think forward about this year, what do you think this year will look like for you? Do you think it will be a good year or a bad year? What will come our way this year? Well, the answer is we don't know. It might be a good year for some of us. It might be a bad year for some of us. None of us knows. But what we can know is this, that this psalm is for us, that our lives can reflect Psalm 1 that the lasting happiness of someone can be ours because of Jesus. And especially us as a church, as the people of God, we must reflect Psalm 1. We avoid, we don't walk in, in the way, in the counsel of the wicked. We don't stand in the way of sinners. We don't sit in the seat of mockers. We avoid sin. And so as the year begins, it is time for us to also reflect our own hearts. If my heart is harboring any hatred of anyone, any bitterness of anyone, any anger, hiding any deceit, you will not be happy. 
you'll have a bad year. And so if that issue, you have to deal with it. You have to come to Christ and reconcile. But instead, what do we do? How do we begin this year? We delight in the law of the Lord. We delight in the word of God. We study it as a church and we will deeply. We meditate on it. We allow it to shape our lives. And we do that corporately together. We do that personally. For if we do that, then what will we be like? We'll be like the tree. Stable, sturdy, unshakable with an undercurrent of joy and happiness. We can be the man and woman of Psalm 1 because of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you've shown us the way of the blessed life, the way to true, deep, lasting happiness. And you've given us this psalm, this wonderful ancient poem, where it shows us the way. But we thank you that though we cannot fulfill that perfectly, we know the Lord Jesus did. And we thank you that because of him, we can be like him to have that happy, blessed life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.